help me today. We're in trouble. We are in trouble. 1992, 1993, we took, uh, they had, they used to have what they called youth evangelism conferences. And it was really kind of a cool deal that, you know, about 30,000 youth that would gather from around the state, um, um, usually in June. I think it's about the last week of June, usually is when it was. But uh, we were there, and usually the, the groups that they have sing at the, uh, at the youth evangelism conference, they come up and they lead the praise and worship and stuff. Usually they were kind of nobodies. Uh, you know, especially back then because the state didn't want to pay the money to, you know, pay for, you know, big bands. Uh, however, in 1992 or three, whichever it was, this three girls got up on stage. And, uh, and I remember leaning over to my wife, I remember saying, God is going to do something with these ladies. I mean, they were, they were that good. And normally you go and you're not really all that impressed with anybody, but I mean, they were, they were that good. And then within the year, within the year, they changed their name to Point of Grace. And, and I mean, they were all over the place. So it's kind of funny watching, watching them kind of come up through that. We're going to talk this morning about relationships. We just got done with Valentine's Day. Figured it was a good time to talk about it. Uh, I, I don't know about you. How many of you guys have had a, a stressful week? That's probably a nice way of putting it. A stressful week? Yeah. How many people... <laughs> Right? You ever have one of those days you want to run out in the backyard and just bang your head up against a tree and, and you know, just shoot me now, get it over with, and, and let's go on? That's, uh, yeah, been there. And that's kind of the week that I've had. And, uh, you know, it, it's so good to be able to come into the, the house of the Lord and, and kind of let that go and, 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 and just be able to relax and charge the batteries a little bit. I think there's a reason why, why we go through these struggles. I, I, I think there's a reason why, uh, why a lot of times we, we do want to beat our heads against the wall. I think it's for a couple of reasons. One, one I think it's because um, any time that you try to, to improve your walk with God, any time that you try to, to walk closer to God, the the enemy he doesn't like that, and so any time that you 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 sit down, you determine to yourself, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna change my life. I I am gonna try to get a little closer to God. I am gonna walk closer to Him. Any time that you say that, get ready, because when you make a move in that direction, you're gonna get slammed. It's gonna happen, and the reason for that's pretty simple. Because Satan doesn't want us interested in God. He doesn't want a bunch of on-fire Christians. If he had a bunch of on-fire Christians, he'd be losing business. And so he'd much rather have a bunch of lame duck Christians that just kind of go through life, just kind of going through the motions, and don't mess with me, don't bother me, I'm in my own little world, and everything's fine. He'd much rather have people like that because people aren't excited for God. And that's the name of the game. And the name of the game is deceit. The name of the game is distraction. I think the second reason that we struggle is because those struggles are there to draw, to get us in a place where we will go looking for God.
Because it's in the times of struggles, especially when you get to the point where you can't figure anything out anymore. You've done tried everything you could do, and all you've done is gotten more frustrated. And, and so you're finally at a place where you literally are. You're just like, I'm done. I don't know where to turn. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to handle this. Guess what? That's, that's the time to cry out to God. I want to talk to you today about the circle. I want to talk to you about living within God's love. Because you've got to understand, you've got to understand that, that really that's all this is. When I was pastoring over at Beacon, uh, a lot of times, and it was funny, the other day somebody called me and he says, I still hear you saying this. It's a, it's a big circle. You've got to understand, everything starts with God and everything ends with God. And I don't care if we're talking about an individual relationship with Christ. Because literally, it's going to start with God, and it's going to come to you, and then it'll go back to God. That's how it works. Or whether we're talking about a church family. Because there again, that's how it works. It starts with God. And it moves to us, and it ends with God. Or whether you're talking about a, a country. Everything starts with God, and everything ends with God. That's something that you, you've got to know. There's a couple of passages. Whoops, I just went too far. Start over. I'm going to be going over a lot of passages today, so y'all just bear with me and have patience. Romans 11.36 says this, for, for from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. Remember what I just said. Everything starts with God and everything ends with God, okay? Here Paul is saying in Romans, he's telling us, for from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. So he's just confirming what I just said. Everything is for God. Everything is from God. Everything is through God. And everything is for God. To him be the glory. This is not going to work out well for me, I can tell. Y'all please bear with me. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Somebody read Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 for me, please, because I'm, I'm telling you, this is not working out well. Okay. When things don't work the way they're supposed to, back up, go to Beta Plan Charlie. Ephesians 4. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Again, one body, one spirit. There's one hope. The calling that you received. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of us all. Who is above all pervading all and in us all. 
Again, everything starts with God and everything ends with God. Now, as I'm going through all these verses, I know there's going to be a lot of verses. There's some notes in the back. Um, y'all are welcome to them after, after the service is over. Now, we've got to talk about this. God starts the process. First of all, you've got to realize this. God chose you. Okay? And, and remember to kind of keep this like I was talking earlier. Think of it as individually. Think of it as a church. Think of it as, as, as a people. Because all throughout Scripture, from the very beginning, from Genesis all the way through to the end, that's how God did it. God chose them. God chose them. He made them their people. And now in the Old Testament, God specifically chose the nation of Israel. He made the nation of Israel. And those are the, His people. But the gospel is, He didn't come for just the Israelites. He came for all of us. And so whether we're talking about individually or whether we're talking about corporately as a church body or whether we're talking as a country, you've got to know God chose us. God chose you. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 1 through 6, it says this. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt or swaddled with bands at all. No eye pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. But you were cast out in the open field, for your person was abhorrent and loathsome on the day that you were born. And when I pleased, when I passed by you and saw you rolling about in your blood, I said to you, in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you, still in your natal blood, Live. That's how God looks at us. That's how we are. We as a people were rejected. Look, when Adam and Eve messed up in the garden, when sin entered into our, our lives, into humanity, we became abhorrent to God. And guys, that's exactly how God views it. And that's how everybody else views it. In other words, basically, we were an aborted baby that was cast out into a dumpster and left to die. And as God walked by, as God walked by and he saw that nobody came to that child, he saw that nobody would save that child, he saw that nobody wanted that child, God looked down and he said, I'll take you. I'll love you. I'll make you mine. And that's how God views us, people. That's how it works. We have got to understand that in God's eyes, in reality, we are nothing more than just waste. There's nothing special about us other than God looked at us and said, I love you. He said, live. John 6.44 says this, No one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me attracts and draws him and gives him the desire to come to me. Let me read that one more time. No one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me attracts and draws him and gives him the desire to come to me. And then I will raise him up from the dead. There's two good things about that. Number one, if you're 
you don't have to rely on me for salvation. That's a good thing. Yeah, I, yeah. As you can tell, I'm not a very good speaker. I don't preach very well. And you know, if we're going to be dependent upon me for people to get saved, we're in trouble. Fortunately, it doesn't matter about me. God. God is the one that stirs your heart. God is the one that says, hey, you, you need me. He is the one that draws us to him. God loves you. Going back to Ezekiel, verses 16, uh, chapter 16, verses 9 through 14, it says this, When I washed you, then I washed you with water. Yes, I thoroughly washed away your clinging blood from you, and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you with embroidered cloth, and I shod you with leather, fine seal leather. And I girded you about with fine linen and covered you with silk. I decked you also with ornaments, and I put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. I also put a ring in your nostril. Yeah, that sounds a little weird. I put a ring in your nostril and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown upon your head. Thus, you were decked with gold and silver, silver, and your raiment was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil, and you were exceedingly beautiful, and you prospered in, into royal estate. And your renown went forth among the nations for your beauty, for it was perfect through my majesty and splendor, which I had put upon you, says the Lord your God. Wow. Going from being trash on the side of the road to what? Decked out royalty. Why? Because God loves you. Right. John 3.16 says this, and we all know it. God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten son that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on. It's the Amplified Version. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. First John 4.10 says this, In this is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's not because we're special, except special in his eyes. God loves us. He chose us. He chose you. First John 3 1 says this. See what an incredible quality of love the Father has given, shown, or bestowed on us, that we should be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. And so we are. The reason that the world does not know us 
they said, the world does not know you. Being selected by God, being chosen by God, is an awesome thing. God is going to pour out all of his love, all of his finding, everything that he is, God wants to bestow upon you because he loves you for no other reason than loving you. And is that not what love is? Love is not what the media has made it. Not, love is not what the world has made it. Love is loving somebody simply because. Why do I say that? Because that's how God loves us. There's no special reason for it other than the fact God loves you. Now, not only does God love you, but God pursues you. And, and I say pursues you, I, I could have said pursued you, but that's not really true. He continues to pursue us. It doesn't stop, but God pursues you. Luke verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 10 says this, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He pursued us. And it's not, it's not just... It's not just a pursuit. It's, it's a search. It's a deliberate search. In other words, I'm going to find you. He knows that you're out there, and he's seeking you out. He knows that you're lost, and he's coming for you. what you do when you lose somebody you go find them Luke 15 4 says this what man of you if he has a hundred sheep and should lose one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it now granted what he was talking about he's speaking to a different group of people He's speaking to a group of people that their entire livelihood depended upon that herd of sheep or goats, whatever it was. It doesn't matter. But their livelihood depended upon that. That's how they measured their wealth. That's how they measured their security back then. And, and if they lost one of their sheep, if even one of the flock disappeared, those guys killed themselves to go find that one that was missing. Why? This is livelihood. And that's what he was saying. He was, he was speaking, Jesus was talking to a group of people, and he's saying, which one of you guys, which one of you guys, if you lost one of your sheep, you wouldn't drop everything that you had and go find that sheep. And that's exactly what God has done. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God pursues you. You mean everything to him. And he will drop everything just to look for you. Now going back to Ezekiel, and it's kind of funny because we're here it is, Jesus is talking about sheep. Now we're going to go back to Ezekiel. Guess what they're talking about? Ezekiel's talking about sheep. 
In Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 12, it says this, As a shepherd seeks out his sheep in the day that he is among his flock that are scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them out of all places where they have been scattered in the day of clouds and thick darkness. Now, it's more specific here because Ezekiel was was talking about the children of Israel, but ultimately... He's talking about all of us. And, and this is more, this is, this is a little bit different. Now, not only is he talking about seeking one sheep, but he's talking about seeking all of his sheep. All of them. All the ones. You picture a lion coming into the herd, and the lion goes in and he runs amok in the herd. And, and what happens to the sheep? They get scattered, they get sent everywhere. And so, what does the shepherd got to do? The shepherd's got to go out. He's got to go gather up all the sheep, and he's got to bring them all back into the fold. And that's exactly what he's talking about. God only is not just seeking you. God, only, God is seeking all of his children. And just like the, the shepherd that will stand out in the wilderness and he will call to the sheep. And the sheep recognize his name. They will come. Why? Because they know he's the shepherd. They know security. They know food. They know water. And so he'll call to them, and they come. And that's exactly what God is doing. As he's out there seeking, as he's out there pursuing, as he's out there searching, he's calling. How many hymns do we have we sung in our lifetime that deal with that same subject? Calling the days. He calls. He seeks us. He pursues us. But not only does God love us and does God pursue us, but God rescues you as well. Romans 5, 7 and 8 says this, It is an extraordinary thing for one to give his life even for an upright man. Though perhaps for a noble and lovable and generous benefactor, someone might dare to die. But God shows and clearly proves his own love for us for us by the fact that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much God loves us. He sent his son to die for us. Now, think about that for just a moment. Which one of you is ready to lay down their life for somebody else? Honestly, which one of you is ready to lay down their life? Now, now, fathers, hopefully, you know, we'll stand up for our children. We'll stand up for our wives. At least you better. We were going to protect our own, right? But which one of you is willing to do that for somebody you don't know? Which one of you is willing to do that for somebody you don't like? Which one of you is willing to do that for somebody you know deserves to die? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's that deep. God is, and God did. 
For it is he who rescued and saved us from such a perilous death. He will still rescue and save us. In him and on him we have set our hope that he will again deliver us and draw us to himself. That verse is a little more different. It's, it's a special verse. Because not only does that mean the very last part of that verse, what the very last part of that verse is saying is not only did he rescue us, but he continues to rescue us. See, it, it doesn't stop with salvation. It continues throughout our lives. So that's how the process starts. God starts it, and then it comes to us, and then we repeat it. First of all, we have to recognize our need for Him. The reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord is the beginning and the principal choice part of knowledge, the starting point and its essence. But fools despise skillful and godly wisdom, instruction, and discipline. Let me back up and regroup. The first thing that's got to happen is, is that you have to recognize and acknowledge who God is. Now, this what Solomon is talking about in Proverbs, what he's talking about when he says the reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord, what he's talking about is recognizing who God is and what he can do. When I was a young man, probably two or three years old, my grandfather, I always thought my grandfather was huge. He was a big man. He had big old arms. He was a farmer. And my grandfather never said a word. He was really the quietest, most gentlest person I'd ever known. Three years old. But, I mean, that's how I viewed him. He was big and he was gentle and he was kind. And he took us, we went to 7-Elevens in Farmer's Branch. I can tell you it was right off of Josie Lane. <laughs> that's how much of an impression it made. We went into 7-Elevens. And we were back there by the, by the dairy section with all the milk and the eggs and all that kind of good stuff. I don't know what I did. I honestly do not know what I did. But the next thing I know is that my grandfather, with one hand, grabs me and I'm in his face. From that point on, my grandfather can tell me to jump off a cliff and I'm going to do it and I'm not going to ask any questions about it. And I'll tell you why. It was in that split second that I realized how much damage this man could do to me if he chose. And I was respectful of that. Because I, my little three-year-old eyes saw my little three-year-old life flash before my eyes. I thought I was done. And I wasn't even sure what I did. And it didn't matter. I was like, oh, it's going to hurt. But the other side of the coin is, I know that my grandfather loves me. The other side of the coin is, I know that if my grandfather could do that to me, he'll do it to somebody else. And I'm glad he's on my side. I knew that my grandfather loved me. I knew that my grandfather would do everything for me. He would protect me. He would provide for me. I knew that. And I, was, I had a respectful, reverent fear for him. And that is the beginning of wisdom. It certainly helped me out. It's the beginning of knowledge. And that's our starting point. Recognizing who God is. 
what God is. Son of man, he caused Jerusalem to know and understand and realize her adulterous abominations that they are disgusting, detestable, and shamefully vile. Ezekiel 16.2 The second thing, after we acknowledge who God is, we have to acknowledge who we are. Trust me, when you stand up next to God and you see that going down, you realize who God is and what God is, you're going to know that you're just a vile thing. In Acts, this is what happened in Acts. We talked about this uh, week four last. Acts 2.37 says this, When they heard this, they were stung, cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? In other words, what happened was, what happened was, they, they acknowledged who God was, they recognized who God was, they recognized who they were, and they knew they fell short. And that's what happens in an individual's heart. God reveals himself. God exposes you. And then you see the need. You were bought with a price. Purchased with the preciousness and paid for. Made for his own. So then, honor God and bring glory to him in your body. So, we acknowledge, we realize who we are and what we are, and then we give our lives to God. It starts with God, and it ends with God. We have to choose God. Therefore, Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods that your father served on the other side of the, of the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You have to choose to serve God. You have to choose to chase after God. Boy, y'all got good. I see you. <laughs> Romans 10, 9 and, uh, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says this. But if you acknowledge and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and in your heart you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. That's how simple it is. You acknowledge him and you confess with your mouth. You confess him as Lord. And then you become part of the family. We choose God because God chose us. We pursue God because God pursued us. We love God because God loved us. We lavish our love to God because he lavished our love, his love upon us. And that's... that's I appreciate y'all sticking with me. And that's what I want to try to get across to you guys. I want you to know and I want you to understand that you're not just a random piece of property. I want you to know and I want you to understand that God is giving you an invitation to join him within that circle. 
and I don't have time to get into the, to the rest of it, so I'm just going to try to speed up and do this as fast as I can. There's a benefit for staying in the circle. It's a boundary, people. You stay within the circle. You stay within God's love. And you will be taken care of. Now, get this, I'm not saying that you're going to be rich, that you're going to be famous, that everything's going to be honky-dory fine, and you're going to go marching through life. I am not saying that. I am saying that if you stay within the boundaries of God's love, He will take care of you, He will provide for you, He will help you out. He will give you, He will use you for the purpose that you were created for. And it is going to be hard. And there is going to be hurt. But he is there for you to go to. It starts with God and it ends with God. Now you have to make a choice today. You have to choose whether or not you're going to think, agree with the fact that what, what I'm saying to you this morning is coming from God, that it comes from Scripture, and if you want to find out for sure, go back there, pick up the dadgum handout, look up the verses yourselves. Because there's just they're all over the place. There are so many verses relating to this one subject that I struggled all week trying to figure out what exactly God wanted me to put in. I was overloaded. That's how many verses are out there. You have to choose today whether or not you will chase after God because God is chasing after you. You have to choose today whether or not you're going to stay within the boundaries of God's love. And if you want to know how to stay within the boundaries of God's love, go look at the entire book of Proverbs. And every time you see the word wisdom, I want you to put in God. Because that's is the relationship. Or you can choose to step outside that boundary. You can choose to reject it. And guess what? This is how God handles sin. He turns you over to the sin. You reject him, he will reject you. You will have no providence, no, no provisions, no love. He will not take care of your needs. He will leave you to your own destruction. It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's black and white. One way or the other way. You're either for God or you're against God. The reason why I bring this to you today, the reason that I, that I point this out to you today is because we, this, this time, more than ever, we need to be seeking God. He's trying to get your attention. You aren't random people that just walked in this room today. You are here because God brought you here today. Now, I'm doing a poor job of explaining things, but that's okay. God, I hope that God is going to speak to you straight to your heart. He wants you to know that He wants to have a lasting, continuous relationship with you. Not just one of salvation. That's just a starting point. He wants you to chase after Him. He wants you to seek Him. Proverbs 25.2 says, It is the glory of God to hide things from the king. 
and it is the glory of the kings to sink out that which he hid. Now, let me rephrase that. That's part of this relationship. It keeps things interesting. God isn't going to give it to you on a silver platter. He wants you to seek him out. And that means he's going to hide it. And he wants you to dig, and he wants you to search, and he wants you to find what it is that God has for you. So that when you find it, it makes it that much better. But it's a struggle. And yes, we have pictures of this all throughout Scripture. And the best one that I can think of is the struggle between Jacob and the angel of Christ, the angel of God. They struggled all night long. Stop and think about that. They struggled from dusk until dawn. That is the world's longest wrestling match. And it God allowed it to go on all night long. And in the morning, when the day was getting ready to break, what did he do? He reached out and he touched them. Now, if if that's all he had to do was to reach out and touch them and cripple them, why didn't he do that at the beginning? No. He wanted Jacob to struggle. He wanted Jacob to fight for it. He wasn't just going to hand out his blessing. And he's not going to hand out the blessing to you either. You're going to have to look for it. You're going to have to seek it. And here's the deal. The more that you seek him, the harder that you struggle to find him, the more you'll find. The closer to him you'll get. It's going to hurt, but it'll pay off in the end. Let's close with a word of prayer. Jamie, would you close this here, please?